Welcome to The Screeners, Episode 5. The Screeners start this week with heavy hearts as we remember the life and work of the incomparable Roger Ebert. From there, we move to Jump Cuts, where we examine the impact of Disney shutting the doors of LucasArts. We finally get G.I. Joe retaliation on the big screen. Was it worth the wait? A friendly discussion about HBO's attitude toward piracy turns into a full-blown Screeners throwdown. And we set a new jump cut land speed record during our talk about the new Shane Carruth Mindbender Upstream Color. It's a small screen extravaganza during the main event when we explore the season three premiere of Game of Thrones, the continuation of Doctor Who, we check in on the first two episodes of A&E's Bates Motel, and start Talking Dead during our in-depth discussion of The Walking Dead season three conclusion. And finally this week, we give the gift of music as we share and discuss some of our favorite film scores. Let's go. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screeners Podcast. This is Josh. And Chad. I'm Chris. And I'm Melody. And we're back again to talk all things media. We just wanted to take a minute up top to say if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, drop us a comment at ScreenersPodcast.com or send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com. Roger Ebert died today. After a battle with cancer, he was the first film critic honored with a Pulitzer Prize, and he became famous as the actors he reviewed. Ebert started at the Chicago Sun-Times in 1967 and joined his Chicago Tribune rival, Gene Siskel, in 1975 to form the TV duo that made them household names. Siskel and Ebert were best known for their signature thumbs-up, thumbs-down rating system. In 2002, Ebert was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. It eventually took his jaw and his voice, but he used his personal computer to communicate. Roger Ebert was 70. Hey guys, before we get into our regular segments, we wanted to take just a couple minutes to recognize some really sad news that happened this week. Uh, The legendary film critic Roger Ebert has passed away at the age of 70 after battling cancer. This is definitely just a, a huge loss to the film community and the journalism community. And I know that all of us have been impacted um, by him. So we wanted to just take a couple minutes and remember him and all that he did for the whole industry. So um, I know for myself, I didn't read a lot of his reviews, but certainly the ones that I did read, he definitely had a way with words. I think few journalists have, and uh, especially when it came to film criticism, he did so much for that. I didn't watch the, the Siskel and Ebert show. I think I was a little bit too young for that one. But I did love to listen to the Ebert and Roper podcast. I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but it was on for a couple years. That was one of the first podcasts, actually, that I listened to. Uh, That indignation got me into the podcast world. So he certainly had a huge impact on me in that area. He, He will definitely be missed. Chris, what about you? Absolutely. You know, Siskel and Ebert, for me, their show at the movies, I actually, I recorded as often as I possibly could. I mean, they were the rotten tomatoes of the time. I mean, if you saw two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert, you knew the movie was going to be good. They represented quality. They represented just well thought out criticism. And they really changed the face of film critics. 
up until that point, you know, you really didn't read the name underneath the quote uh, of, on a trailer or whatever. You didn't really know who those people were. They weren't celebrities. But definitely Roger Ebert was one of those pioneers that kind of came out and said, hey, listen, this is an art form. This is something that's valuable. He will be missed. He took the time to really come up with things that, that, that mattered. He was a huge part of completely bringing film criticism into the the modern era yeah i didn't follow his reviews or shows as much as i would have liked to or should have but thanks to the internet a lot of his blog posts and his writing is still around so i'm gonna have to catch up on it the thing about ebert that i remember most actually isn't a movie review it's an article i uh, of his that i came across by chance it's in a blog post from the chicago sun times and I'll put a link to it up on the blog and on Facebook. It's about how to cook an entire meal with a rice cooker. And he <laughs> goes on and on about how to use a rice cooker. What? And how, how simple it... No, he's got... It's, it has to be a couple thousand words about wow. how simple it is to cook with a rice cooker. <laughs> and you read it, it's hilarious and it's wonderfully written. And you can just tell I, I'm someone who likes to dabble in writing from time to time and the man is a writer and he's a wordsmith and he's amazing you can just tell that when you lose someone like this it's a palpable loss i heard about it on the radio driving home from work the other day and it actually just made me sad he will be missed i think one of the things about roger ebert that is very telling is that we're talking about a film critic I mean, ostensibly, we're talking about a film critic that is being mourned the world over, which just means he was much more than that uh, and became much more than that. Dude, what I like about Ebert is his reviews were marvelous, but his blog, and specifically as he battled health issues, he recently wrote an article on Salon.com, and Josh can link to this one as well, called I Do Not Fear Death. You know, with the the heading of, I will pass away sooner than most people who read this, but that doesn't shake my sense of wonder and joy. And it's just a, a remarkable, a remarkable human being that influenced me. And I grew up in a, a conservative home where at a young age we weren't allowed to watch movies at home. But ironically, we were allowed to watch Siskel and Ebert at the movies. I don't know, explain that. But so I, uh, yeah, I, I fell in love with the idea of movies from as a young uh, child watching these guys argue. So to say that they've impacted me and, and impacted countless others is obviously an understatement. But there are a couple of little things about Ebert that I wanted to share before we move on tonight. One of those is, you know, this is the biggest, the preeminent film critic in all the world. And I remember he gave, I don't remember the star rating, but he gave Mission Impossible 2, like, I don't know, two stars or two and a half stars, maybe even three stars. Okay, Mission Impossible 2 is garbage. Okay, I hate that movie. I love the first one. I hate the second one. So then the third one comes out, directed by J.J. Abrams, which in my opinion is still the best of the four. And I, he gave it like a half star lower or something like that. And so in my youthful exuberance, I fired off an email to Roger Ebert knowing that I would never get a response and said something to the effect of, how can you say that the second one is better than the third? There's just, you know, I respect you so much. This can't be true. 
And lo and behold, about two days later, he actually responded and said, this is Roger Ebert, this is really me. And his basic response was, I can admit that the movie is probably a little better. I'm just so tired of the concept at my age that I just don't have time for it anymore. But that was the coolest thing that this guy, as busy as he was, took time out of his schedule to respond to some dude in Tennessee that sent him an email. Um, That's fantastic. It's just amazing. But my all-time favorite (laughs) Ebert story was when he laid the smack down on Rob Schneider. (laughs) So I have to – I don't want to take too much time here, but I have to read this. This just goes – to show you the the power this man had in his pen. So the story goes like this. Rob Schneider, who is not funny and who, in my opinion, is not funny and makes terrible films, had in just everyone's come, opinion. Right, yeah. Had just come off of the classic Deuce Bigelow male gigolo. Okay. Yeah, and there was yeah, and there was a writer by the name of from the Los Angeles Times named Patrick Goldstein who said to something to the effect of this, and this is actually from Ebert's response to this. It said um, this year's Best Picture nominees wrote in that they were ignored and turned down flat by most of the same studios that bankroll hundreds of sequels, including a follow-up to Deuce Bigelow, a film that was overlooked at Oscar time because apparently nobody has the foresight to invent a category for best-running penis joke delivered by a third-rate comic. Okay, <laughs> Now, that's pretty funny in and of itself. Well, Schneider retaliated by attacking Goldstein in a full-page ad in Daily Variety and Hollywood Reporter where in an open letter he says to Goldstein, quote, Mr. Goldstein, I decided to do some research to find out what awards you have won. I went online and found that you've won nothing, absolutely nothing, no journalistic awards of any kind. Maybe you didn't win a Pulitzer Prize because they haven't invented a category for best third-rate, unfunny, pompous reporter who's never been acknowledged by his peers. Okay, so it was nasty, nasty oh time. Even his comeback wasn't fun. Right? Oh, man. So Roger Ebert responds in his review of the actual film, which he gave zero stars to. <laughs> well done, sir. He says, and this is Roger Ebert, and I quote, Reading this, I was about to observe that Schneider can dish it out, but he can't take it. Then I found he's not so good at dishing it out either. I went online and found that Patrick Goldstein has won a National Headliner Award, a Los Angeles Press Club Award, a RockCritics.com Award, and the Publicist Guild Award for Lifetime Achievement. Schneider was nominated for a 2000 Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor, but lost to Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) But Schneider is correct, and Patrick Goldstein has not yet won a Pulitzer Prize. Therefore, Goldstein is not qualified to complain that Columbia Finance Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo while passing on the opportunity to participate in Million Dollar Baby, Ray, Aviator, Sideways, and Finding Neverland. As chance would have it, I have won the Pulitzer Prize, and so I am qualified. Speaking in my official capacity as a Pulitzer Prize winner, Mr. Schneider, your movie sucks. <laughs> so it's just like this guy was as brilliant as he was. He was accessible. He was funny. And he, he cared deeply about, you know, his wife and his causes. And it's, it's just a very, very sad, sad day. All right, well, we're ready for Jump Cuts, which is our lightning round of the podcast. So we have some different topics to talk about today, and we are going to do our very best to limit ourselves to 60-second answers or less. So you will possibly hear a loud-sounding bell if any of us go over our 60 seconds. So, Chris, I think you have the first question today. 
Disney purchased Lucasfilm not too long ago, and they are now trimming back the fat. They just shut down their video game branch called LucasArts. So I wanted to get your guys' reaction on them shutting that down. Chad, what do you think? Well, I feel like I should probably be sadder than I am, (laughs) and I don't mean any disrespect to any of the people that work at LucasArts, but just from my personal experience, really, I think the only game that I can remember really playing a lot was on uh, the original Xbox, which was Knights of the Old Republic, and it was a fantastic game and a great great experience, and I played the sequel as well, and I liked that one a little bit less, but uh, still also a very good game, so I don't... I don't feel as bad just because the fact that they're taking over the film side of it and they're going to continue that universe and expand that universe is really what I'm most excited about. So uh, a bummer for sure, but overall, I don't think it's a huge, huge loss to the to the uh, universe. All right. Uh, Melody, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much going to say the same thing. I think LucasArts probably peaked in the late 90s. I played Knights of the Old Republic some too, and that was a great game. But other than that, you know, I, I, ha- I don't think I've played anything from them recently. Obviously, it's, you know, it's too bad for the people that lost their jobs. And I know that they did have a new Star Wars game in the works. So I don't know that they've said exactly what's what's going to be happening with that game. But to me, it's not not a huge deal, in my opinion. Josh? Any reaction at all? Uh, pretty much a ditto for me. I also played Knights of the Old Republic and thought that was a good game. But what you guys have left out so far is LucasArts, to the best of my knowledge, is behind all the Lego games. Lego Indiana Jones, Lego Star Wars, yep. Batman. Yep. And oh. so that's, that's, that's one what I think they've done in recent memory. Things yep. are but, changing. Yep. Mm, no, I'm sad. <laughs> glad I could help. Um, I The article that I read about this did say that they were going to start licensing their content to third-party developers. So maybe they can get a developer that knows how to program a camera, right? (laughs) I do love those Lego games. Those Lego games are awesome. I have played those. They they might be for kids, but I love them. I do want to mention, though, I believe those were just the ones that were owned by Lucas, though. I don't think they actually necessarily... I think they were licensing that out because they have other Lego games that were not... Okay, but those were the best, um, yeah, too. Yeah, the Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones yeah. and, Star Wars. and Star Wars. But that's what great. they're doing, though, is is uh, LucasArts is shutting down, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're going to be, like Josh said, they're going to license out to other game developers, which I think might be a good thing. But I am bummed that 1313, which is the more gritty take on the Star Wars universe, like the Underbelly video game was coming out, it looked, looked really good. I'd seen a lot of the tech demos and several of the live uh, gameplay demos recently and it looked cool i was excited to be able to play it and i think they've said that that game has actually been canceled i I might be wrong there but you know they did some great things over the years uh rebel strike like rogue rogue squadron i loved rogue squadron when i was uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. growing up the force unleashed was a really good uh video game you know i forgot about that was pretty good um, game that was pretty good Oh, come. I mean, it was it was fun. And of course, Knights of the Old Republic. You guys have already mentioned those. But, you know, a lot of that stuff, I feel like will actually maybe even do better in the hands of another developer with the license. <laughs> cool. Done. I'm so sorry. I'm done. It's awesome if you get buzzed every time. I'm done. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. All right. Well, that was close, though. That was close. It was like I gave you like I was three literally finishing seconds. my thought and I forgot to start my freaking timers. Number two. All right, my question today is about the new G.I. Joe film. I did not see it, but I know a couple of you guys did. So, Josh, did you see it? 
Is this a flick chart segment? No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris. Sorry. G.I. Yes. Joe is there. Yes. Yes, I saw G.I. Joe Retaliation. I'll tell you what. I saw the first one, and it was a good, fun, crazy movie that was, oh you know. God. Did you say the word good? It was, well, okay. When we're talking about good films, let's be honest, Chad. Of course, it is lowbrow. It is just, it's cartoony. It was silly. So okay? everything but that does not it. equal good is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was it was fun for what it was. It oh knew what it gosh. was. It was trying to be, anyway, this one if you were a G.I. Joe fan, if you watched G.I. Joe growing up, this is a kind of a, it's a love story to you because everything that you wanted to be in the first one is in this one. Cobra Commander is actually there. Uh, he's actually trying to take over the world. All of your favorite characters are there. Some great action sequences. The Ninja Cliff battle <laughs> is one of the best 3D action. action it is. If you like cartoons, you will love that. In a long time. Uh, Dwayne Johnson is obviously having a blast, uh, and he was fun to watch. And it was just it was just a, a great cartoon thrill ride. So I know Chad, obviously you have a different opinion. So I want I want to hear it. I want I want I want to hear what you could possibly say. Let's hear what it. I could possibly say. Yes. I wanted to hear what you could possibly say. Did you, to, did to you apologize for this thing? Did you watch the series? Growing up, a little bit. Not. Okay, see, that's all right. But I, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Mister. Watch the series. I'm old school. Alex. I had all of the toys. Okay. Yeah, so did I. I made my own universe in the oh, backyard. Oh, had my epic battles. I, I see mean, where this is going. I, I had blew all up of with that firecrackers. Stuff, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I've always been a fan of GI Joe. Okay, but this movie is bad. It's bad in so many ways. It's not. Uh, it's not funny. It's not silly enough that you can enjoy it for campiness. It's just bad writing. A couple of good action beats. Uh, the plot is the same story that's been told a, th a million times. I mean, this is the year of taking down the, the White House. I mean, we've had Olympus has fallen. They take the White House down in this. And then in the trailer was White House down. I was like, come on, let's yeah, get off right. the White House. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, yeah. you oh, know, you it's just, admit, no. You have to admit, seeing the Cobra logo the flag fall over the White House, and oh. you know that Cobra has taken over oh, I know. Washington. Wow. That was awesome. It was. It was so awesome. It was fun. It was terrible. Chris, oh, this movie on. is terrible. Look. The acting is terrible. The cinematography is okay. I mean, this guy, oh, the dude. guy that directed it, I li actually like the guy. Uh, John, is it Johnny Chu, I think is his name? Yay. <laughs> Let's see how right, it buzz. We're let's, both let's talking back cut. and forth. So. Uh, I don't yeah, you know. both got buzzed. Dang it. <laughs> This movie sucks. Don't see it, folks. Don't be fooled. See, see it if you enjoy fun movies. And if, if you're not a Grinch. If you're not right. a Grinch. If you have no brain. Number three. You know, there's always been this, especially since back in the days of Napster and then BitTorrent and when the internet and high-speed internet in particular kind of became ubiquitous, there's been the problem of piracy. But there's also a sentiment out there that is, I want it now when it's available, and if I can get it online and I have the tools to get it online, then I can. So there was an, an interesting article that came out. It specifically mentioned Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is one of, if not the most pirated television show on BitTorrent. People from HBO 
kind of publicly admitted this, and, and the quote from the article was this. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but it's a compliment of sorts. And this is from HBO's programming director, Michael Lombardo. Piracy is something that comes along with having a wildly successful show on a subscription network. So this has kind of ignited a lot of discussion specifically for a studio person to come out and say this. So I'm, I'm very interested, not necessarily in Game of Thrones specifically, but where you guys fall down on this issue. So let's start with Melody. So, yeah, when I read this article, I could not believe 4.3 million downloads per episode of Game of Thrones pirated. Boom. Like, that blew my mind. I mean, obviously, with a show like Game of Thrones, uh, with a, you know, a network like HBO that is a premium service, a lot of people want the content but aren't paying that premium price. So I'm sure that they ha- expect it to be greatly pirated, but that still blew my mind. And I, w- I mean, I was a little surprised, I guess, that they came out and said that, that it's a form of flattery or whatever, and that they're not outraged, outraged about it. But they did say in that article, too, they said every viewer is a potential ambassador for the show. And that makes sense to me. I mean, definitely, if I'm going to watch a new show, it's probably because somebody that I respect recommended it. And so if they're getting more people watching the show, I, I, I guess that makes sense a little bit. They were also saying like it helps the the Blu-ray sales and the DVD sales. So I guess it makes sense. I was kind of thinking a little bit like I wonder if maybe this is just more like of a PR stunt a little bit like to generate more buzz about the show. I don't know. But um, it was interesting. What do you think, Josh? Well, I think it's about time they admit that piracy is just really free advertising. I mean, I understand that it undermines their business model if everyone goes out and pirates the show and no one buys it. But that's not what happens, and it never will happen that way unless the business model totally changes. Piracy becomes A, legal, and B, even easier to do. Because it's easy right now for someone who knows their way around a computer and the Internet, but a lot of people don't and just would rather have the subscription and watch the great content. But so until those two things happen, piracy, what piracy does for your show is it weaves you into the cultural consciousness. And that's what any show producer wants. You want to be part of the water cooler conversation. You want to be part of the cultural lexicon. And that's what they're getting. Spoken like a true pirate. Chris, (laughs) what do you think? Okay, so here's my feeling on it. Whatever is the easiest is what people will do. And just like Josh said, if it's easier for you to pay the money and then to watch it, uh, people will do that. But for most people, they feel as though HBO or uh, some of these other content creators or networks, they put the stuff behind so much DRM, behind so many walls, that if I buy something, if I buy a TV show on one device, I can't move it to my computer and to my Apple TV and to my whatever other devices I have laying around. And for most people who are tech savvy, they want to be able to do that. They've got theaters you know, set up. They've got all their, their home networked. And so if it's easier for somebody to go to a, uh, a torrent site, download the episodes or they can watch it everywhere, they will, even if they have an HBO subscription. Do you know what I mean? Like people are doing it because it's easier for them. And so until the content providers make things easier, whether you buy one thing and then you can move it anywhere you want, there's no DRM attached, they're going to have piracy. And in my opinion, they should just make things easier for the customer. They shouldn't fight the pirates. They should embrace it and say, hey, maybe this is a model that might work for us. And maybe we should look a little bit deeper into it. That's kind of my thoughts and, and feelings on it. Can you not hear me? Can now. Can now. You just can. That's weird. 
I dinged you like 27 times because you <laughs> talked for two minutes. <laughs> I mean, literally two minutes. And I was sitting here going, ding, ding, ding. You're just like, and then all the blah, blah. And I'm like, Chris, stop talking. And you're like, I don't know. And then you couldn't hear me. So now it makes sense. I was waiting for it, but I was no, like, well, totally fine. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Well, I'm going to put my grumpy pants on here a little bit, Chris, because I think that DRM is a little bit different than just straight piracy from the beginning. I agree with you that DRM is frustrating and should not be tolerated. If you buy it once and you own it, you own it. But I do see the I do see the truth in the fact that piracy doesn't necessarily make a substantial dent in the bottom line. My bigger problem is the precedent that it sets. Six months ago, my grandmother had no idea how to use Facebook. Now, she is a Facebook fanatic. She's like sharing stuff. She's posting articles and all that stuff. So right now there's a very tiny segment that actually knows how to torrent and how to pirate, but it's going to get easier and people are going to know how to do it. And it's going to make a bottom line Mm -hmm. effect eventually. So I do think it's a problem because there is kind of this culture where people think it's okay and they have a right to get everything right now. And as all of us have worked in this industry in some uh, regard. You don't get everything for free, folks. You don't get shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and all that stuff without good, smart people writing and shooting and editing and all this stuff. And if you want to continue to have stuff of that quality, uh, you need to pay for it. I'm not trying to cast the first stone here because I've definitely dabbled in the past, but <laughs> it's not it's not good in practice because ultimately it is going to make a difference. Can I can can we do an extended cut on this? I just I want to have a conversation real quick with sure. you. Sure, I would. That's fine. Me. Is that all right? All right. So here, here's my counterpoint on that. That is not what happened with the music industry, though. You, you, you see that there was a huge amount of piracy in the music industry, and we thought things were going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And then what happened? iTunes made things easier and completely got rid of DRM. Um, and so that's one of the, 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 the benchmarks that happened is that suddenly they decided to embrace the fact that you know what? There's no reason to move this. There's, and now it's easier. It's easier for me to go Again, pay 99 cents. It's easier for you. My yeah. grandmother doesn't know how to use iTunes. If I tried to open iTunes in front of her, she would be like, I've got, I got nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now open it's, BitTorrent in front of her. Yeah. yeah. That's it's, so much it's, iTunes is easier than smarter. BitTorrent. What I'm, that's my point is that I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison, Chris, because it is. it's not. It's still not easy. It's still not easy for the common man to just launch an internet browser and then go to a website and know how to torrent or or download a movie. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. It will be that easy, exactly. and it no, no, will but, be free, and it will what they make need a difference. To do, no, no, no. So in order in order to hedge this, what I'm saying is is that the movie industry needs to say, okay, on iTunes, you buy a movie, it's DRM free. If they did that. It would be easier, and then they would beat, they they would cut torrent off at the pass because no one would say, well, why in the world would I go torrent and maybe get some file I don't even want? want? Chris, it's just too difficult. You're for me. so hung up on DRM. So are you saying the four million people that are downloading Game of Thrones are only doing it because of DRM? That's not yeah, why I'm, they're doing it. They're doing it because they don't want to pay for an HBO subscription but and I'm they want it is, for free. But no, but what I'm saying is people will pay. A, a vast majority of people would pay if HBO came out with an eight dollar a month or a ten dollar a month subscription fee. Right. So they what, would suddenly sure, cut it off the pass, sure. and then they would have to worry about. So what tour. you're saying, what saying is that if HBO were to completely cut off all their, you know, almost all of their profit nope. by selling these things nope. for eight dollars, yeah, because they make nope. cable, yes, cable stations, cable channels make the lion's share of their profit from licensing agreements with cable companies, and, and they're not that. giving up, you know, billions of dollars for a hundred million dollars. It's just but, not going to happen. Yeah, but they can. 
change and actually say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this easier than Torrent will ever be. We're going to make this a simpler ex experience than Torrent would ever be. It's not about making <laughs> it easier for the user. It's about dollars and cents. Right, exactly. And they're running the numbers, exactly. and the numbers don't add up. And you no no you see in Scandinavia that's exactly what they're doing they're beginning to take the HBO has a you can just subscribe to HBO HBO Go in Scandinavia right now they're doing these pilot programs just to see I have hey, more people in my neighborhood than are in Scandinavia I, I mean that's the point obviously it's a pilot program no offense to Scandinavia <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway so that let's that, move that, on that's the way I feel let's move you're on. a stealer you're a stealer we're getting to the point where if you want to pirate and I gave that up. But you have to go get a VPN subscription, and you got to hide yourself more and more it's and more. It's very risky. And it's, very it's risky. getting worse for pirates. It is more difficult now to make sure you're actually going to get a quality, good version of a film, music, whatever you're looking for, than it was five years ago, or to even you know what, however long ago it was. And so you know, for for me, my my idea is, if I can pay fifteen bucks buy a movie that is you know great quality and I can move it anywhere, I think 70%, 80% of the people that are torrenting would say, hey, you know what? It makes more sense for me to move over here. It makes more sense for me to buy directly from HBO than me to risk getting a takedown, risk getting uh, you know, sued, risk getting you know, fine. Um, if I just go over here and I you know, get the, the thing that I know I want and I'm going to get the best quality and I can move it anywhere. I think that would make a huge difference. That's my argument. And I think I think I think it's true. I think it's valid. Well, I really you're do. a buzzer for Yeah, yeah for <laughs> real. <laughs> Shane Carruth, who directed Primer, what was that like ten years ago? Yep. Is has come out with his second movie after disappearing for the last decade. Apparently he was abducted. So the movie is called Upstream Color, and I want to know what you guys all think about it. Chris? Well, you know, I saw a little 15-second clip of it, and I'm in. I want to see it. I read the director's name, and I said, I'm in. So, yeah, I want to see it. I was a fan of Primer, so I'll totally see it. Yeah, same same goes for me. <laughs> Primer is one of those movies that has fan websites dedicated to unraveling the timelines, and it, it is for movies what Infinite Jest is for books. Oh, God. Um, oh, so. God. Best <laughs> yes, jump cut ever. The end. Awesome. Okay. Welcome to the main event. All right, we're going to TV land for this week's main event. We're going to discuss lots of different shows. Specifically, we're going to get into the Game of Thrones Season 3 premiere, the new Doctor Who premiere, Bates Motel first two episodes, and then we're going to conclude our discussion tonight with The Walking Dead Season 3 finale. Now, we're going to do our best to not talk about anything too specific, very minor spoilers, if any, on all of these, except for The Walking Dead. When we get there, we'll do a little spoilery talk there as it concluded Season 3. But we want to start tonight with Game of Thrones. It's been a long time, my old friend. Death is coming for everyone and everything. Show them how it feels to lose what they love. I'm going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Everyone is mine to torment. There's a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. The revenge you want will be yours in time. Chris, uh, what did you think about the kickoff to season three? 
I was excited to see this thing. Ten months waiting. Uh, the season finale of season two was just incredible to see that army of White Walkers. You know, I, I could not wait to see what was going to happen. And I have to say, I think the premiere definitely picked up the pace very well. And I was excited to get back into this world. You know, some of my favorite moments are with Tywin and uh, Tyrion. Some great moments there, father and son. But I have to say that my favorite plot line at the moment is Daenerys and her dragons. I, I, I have, I have not read the books obviously, because I don't read. And uh, <laughs> you said I, I cannot, it. I know, right? I can't, I just, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I cannot wait to see these dragons and like full on, like just battle. So anyway, I'm super excited about it. Season three, great, great place to start. And uh, I can't wait, wait to see where we go. So good stuff. Melody, what'd you think about the premiere? Yeah, I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I'm a huge fan. I was really excited about season three as well. I have to say, I I think I wish that I would have maybe watched the last couple episodes of season two, and I didn't. I didn't really do anything to prepare for season three. The episode kind of just throws you right back into the world without much fanfare or anything. And I got to say, it, it took me like a little time to get into the episode. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't like connect and get super excited right away. But definitely by the end, I was like back into it and and super excited to see where this season is going to go. I, I, I agree with Chris. I think the Daenerys storyline right now is is one of the most compelling. Although I think I, I, I love them all. Like, I just love this show. All the characters are very interesting. And I, I think it's an interesting show because there's not like a main protagonist. There's not someone that you're necessarily rooting for to win this entire battle of, of everything the dragons um, the dragons well yeah maybe you root for the dragons but but I, i'm just saying like everyone vying for the throne has their own problems and so I, I think that makes it really interesting i have read the first two books but i am actually and i i will read the third book but i'm reading them after uh the show actually because in a very rare case for me i actually enjoy the show more than the books um wow. so i i know so I've been uh, reading the books after the show because, I mean, there's definitely a lot of depth in the books that's not in the show, but I don't know. The show's just pretty awesome for me, so I'm reading them after. Have, have any of you guys read the books? I have not. Okay. Chris, well, how about you? I, I said that I hadn't read them. <laughs> oh, I was just checking. I, I was sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> got to rub um, that in, don't you? Josh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You, yeah, no. you, you haven't caught up <laughs> just, on. Just no. <laughs> <laughs> So let's. You haven't seen season three opener. Um, have you seen the first season? Do I know anything? Any characters' names would be a better place just, to start. Do I know what the show Josh? Is do you know about? what HBO is? <laughs> you're hammering it's got dragons. Up. I know that. Well, now I do because you ruined it for me. Yeah. But, well, you know. Yeah. No. Sorry. Okay. You're missing I, out. I I do not pirate the show and I do not pay for the show. You so should. I do you not should watch pirate the it. There's show. plenty of people doing it. They wouldn't notice. <laughs> That's what all the kids do. It's That's so what easy. All, yeah. It's so I know. It's, it's and apparently it's they're not so easy. Easier. Almost five million people could do it. So anyway, so season three. This is one of those shows where I I find that it is more enjoyable to me to stack up episodes of this on my DVR or on HBO Go app. 
and watch like two or three at a time. What I like about this show is that it has so many storylines, and it, they're all exciting in my opinion. The issue with this opener to me is that it didn't really advance anything, but it did what it needed to do in as much as it just kind of reintroduced everybody to us to help us kind of get back on our feet moving forward. I liked it, but it's hard for me to get excited about it just yet. I'm probably going to say, you know, I'm going to stack up the next two or three and then just just pound through them that way. But this, the quality of this show, man, it's like watching a long movie. I mean, yeah. some of the special effects have a little bit to be desired, but the cinematography, the acting, is just so, it's just top notch. Yeah. It really is yeah. top notch, and it, it's worth watching. Anybody that even if you don't like this kind of story, if you don't like sword and sandal kind of epics, this is got it's got something for you. I was telling my wife when we were going to start the first season. You know, I've heard about this show because I didn't start season one until season two was already going, and so <clears throat> she was like, "Okay, that sounds great." And I was trying to explain to her what it was, and so I had the first four episodes saved, and I kid you not. Every single time she walked into my bedroom <laughs> to watch it, guess what was on the screen? Uh-huh. Yeah. We know. Naked people. And she was like, what is this? I'm like, this is really like a really good show, babe. I promise, right? This is, you know, so anyway. But I, I love this show, and I think anybody that's not watching it really should consider watching it or pirating it, whatever. However you feel. <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> Call us pirates. I just feel like this show is so good that it yeah. doesn't need that to be a selling point. Just because it's on HBO, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, this episode, I think, more than any, is hammering home the idea that this is in a, in a fantasy world. Like, you know, right away, I think it was in the, the first or the second scene, you see a giant. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like they were really kind of setting the stage well, saying, hey, guys, this I, isn't. I think that's because they can. So they hooked everybody I, in for like the first season and a half. Right. Uh, with very little of that, and then you're so invested in the characters and the stories at that point, now they can do anything they want to, and you're still in. Well, we're all positive on Game of Thrones, so let's move to another premiere. Now, this is probably... Uh, one of the more difficult reviews that we've done because there's so many different directions that we can go here, and it has a long history, but there's a new Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) Miss me? Who the hell are you? I'm the Doctor. I'm an alien from outer space. I'm a thousand years old. I've got two hearts and I can't fly, please! Running away with a spaceman in a box, anything could happen to you. That's what I'm coming on. Is that her? The woman twice dead. She's rather pretty, isn't she? She's not possible. Right then, Clara Oswald. Time to find out who you are. Josh, what do you think? Well, let me. Have you seen this, Josh? Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, uh, why don't you tell us about what you thought about the new Doctor Who? Well, you never got the answer to whether I saw it or not. Uh, and the answer to that is a qualified no. <laughs> the, the qualification. <laughs> now, hold on. Qualification. Go ahead. Yes, What's the qualification? The qualification is that Chris was kind enough to suggest when we started talking about uh, doing a review of Doctor Who, Chris was kind enough to suggest a good starting point for those of us who don't have 47 years to catch up on Doctor Who because it's been around since long, long before I was born. (laughs) So he suggested the first episode that Matt Smith was in, which was season five, I believe. That's correct. So I went back a few days ago and I watched that and I can talk about that, Please. but not, unfortunately, season seven or season 7.2. I was 
surfing the on-demand stuff and got very confused. Well, this is this um, is a mid-season premiere. We should say that, or okay. as, as they say in so BBS in the BBC, this is a mid-series premiere. So there have already been six episodes, and there'll be six more. Right. Uh, so this is this is the mid mid-series of season seven. Yeah, Chris, I would okay. I would say that you're probably our most devoted Doctor yeah. Who watcher. So why don't you tell us, uh, catch us up, and tell us what you thought? Yeah, I, I want to definitely hear though, Josh, what you thought about. Matt Smith coming in. Let me just real quickly set this up and just say, for many, many years, people were telling me I should watch Doctor Who. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. We've talked about that quite a bit. And they kept saying, you've got to go, you've got to try Doctor Who. And whenever I would watch it, I got very distracted by the production value, specifically, you know, frame rate issues, you know, mm-hmm. BBC. Yeah, I know I have that in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, they, they do, you know, the 30 frames a second or whatever. But finally, with the Matt Smith, I felt like they did a better job, a leap forward with keeping a little bit of the campiness um, that Doctor Who is really known for. And so anyway, I, let's talk a little bit just to kind of like our experience with the Doctor. So I, Josh, what, what did you think? I'm just curious. What did you think of Matt Smith coming in as the Doctor in uh in, in his first episode. I don't have anything to compare him to. Sure. But yeah, in, in what you just said, you taught you touched on some of the things that I was going to talk about actually. There are several people I know whose taste I would I would say I respect and they're huge Doctor Who fans and so I'm I've always wondered yeah. what's the deal with this whole Doctor Who thing. And so after this first episode, it it's kind of like watching the pilot of well, I mean, I, I guess it was in a way a pilot for the new doctor Yeah. in that I didn't really feel like I got a chance to get absorbed into the world enough to yeah, yeah. have an attachment to it. I, I liked I liked Matt Smith. He is a good actor. He did well in the episode. Um, what, did you, what did you think of the sci-fi, like the actual underlying sci-fi-ness of the show? It's another pilot problem because I sure. feel like I don't know enough okay. about the universe to know what... Like he travels through time mm-hmm. and he's saving the earth constantly and he, <laughs> he has enemies, but I don't know why and I don't really know who he is. Like gotcha. Is, is he from a he's an he alien. from a special race yep. that he's, travels around like this and Yeah. He he's 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 what they call a time lord and he's an okay. alien and he yeah, he basically he's a protector. He is literally the doctor. He fixes things. He so, he makes So he's Nibbler from Futurama. I don't even. I Never don't watch mind. Futurama. Anyway, <laughs> oh, so. I'm so sad. <laughs> and the hits keep on coming. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, okay, all right. So uh, I guess the the deeper question here is: Would you continue? Would Would you try watching another couple episodes? I mean, was it something that you had any kind of reaction to, or was it just kind of like, eh, it's all right? Would you I think? I was kind of like, eh, but okay. at the same time, I can I can get on board with once they got inside the TARDIS and were like looking all around at the stuff. I can kind of get on board with. The camp, you, you can tell this show's been around since the 60s, and they're yeah. trying to keep some of that tradition alive with just yes. how goofy the instrument panel works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what it really reminded me of, this is a bit of a 30-second tangent, but it reminded me of a comedy back from 2004 called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which, if you haven't seen, is a fantastic sci-fi horror spoof, wonderful wow. show. Had about six episodes, another British Okay. British comedy show, and it really reminded me the camp and the British humor yeah. put together. So, so would you keep watching? I mean, do you have any interest at all? I, I, I kind of do now. The problem is that I don't have a lot of time for another addiction, and I feel like with yeah. 47 seasons to catch well, up no, on. I'll be honest with you. I, I cannot go past 
backwards from Matt Smith because oh. and, and there is a there there is kind of this feeling among many Whovians, the fans mm-hmm. of Doctor Who, that their first doctor is always the best. Chad, did you get a chance to catch this at all? Well, my God, after that last conversation, <laughs> I don't sorry. I don't know what else I, <laughs> I was say. I'm trying I'm gonna, to I, I think I liked it, but now I hate it. So no uh, <laughs> no, let me say this. I think they're doing everything that they can, the people behind the show, to get new watchers. For me, though, it's the exact same. It's the exact same issue because there's there's such a history there. There's such a, a deep, um, <laughs> a deep stable of characters and um, a community that's very passionate about this show that it's hard for me to watch one episode and then say I mean yeah I get anything I mean right. I get yeah. it I, I academically appreciate a lot of the things that I see and I can tell that this may be something that I would like sure. but if I'm being honest about my reaction to this specific show I was like okay okay maybe you know so right. I'm not necessarily excited about watching it because I feel like if I if I was going to do this I'd have to do it right I'd have to back up yeah. Uh, to, to to somewhere, I don't, I'm not sure where that would be. But I was, I'd have to back I, up somewhere and then pile through it. If 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 anything in this spoke to you, I think if you go back to uh, series five and start with Matt Smith, I think you start there and begin to because re- I think it's worth it. I would highly, re- I think you would actually respect it and really enjoy it if you just started there. Okay, not going to yeah. happen. Moving on. Really? <laughs> no. Really? You wouldn't do it at all? <laughs> no, I would. I would. Okay. I mean, when it's I'm not sixty any, and I've got nothing else to do. Maybe. Right. Well, it's twelve. It's twelve episodes per series. So no, no, no. I think I would. Much. I think I would. I'm not trying. Look, I know this has a large following, and I don't want you to send me like weird things to my house. <laughs> I'm just saying that <laughs> it, this is a difficult show to access yeah. at this point right. in time. So, uh, Melody, Melody, what about you? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few Doctor Who episodes more than more than Chad and Josh, but not nearly as many as Chris, and certainly not as many as our our listener fans. Every time I see an episode, I think to myself, why do I not watch this show? Because I always have so much fun when I give it a chance, a whole episode chance. I loved this one, the new premiere. I thought it was great. I've seen, you know, a few of the first Matt Smith episodes. So I I agree with Chris. He's like the doctor for me. Like, I don't think I, I don't think I would be super interested in in going back to older doctors, but I, I, I would like to watch it. I mean, I don't really have time for it. But I do enjoy it. I think this doctor is specifically just so endearing. And the, the companions are always really interesting, too. My, like my issue with, with this doctor, and I don't know if it's like this with all Doctor Whos, but I kind of want him to be like an awesome superhero guy because he's like the most powerful being in the universe or whatever. And, you know, when he, when he saves the day, it's always like really exciting. And he's like, you know, the hero. But... He's so quirky and weird, and then he's also this amazing hero, and it's just, it's confusing to me. Like, I want him to Mm -hmm. be, like, some compelling masculine hero, not just, like, a goofball. Mm. But at the same time, I still love him, and, like, (laughs) I still, like, and and I know, like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, but I feel like it would be worth my time if I went back and started, at least with Matt Smith. I, I, I think one day I will. Um, and I definitely, I definitely enjoyed this episode. Okay. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, well, let me just real quickly geek out for those of you who are listening, who are Whovians. Are you going to um, talk more about Dr. Who? <laughs> I'm going to talk about the episode. Can I not talk about the episode? Oh my. Go ahead. Well, let please. me just say two, let me no, just say fine. a few things. Let Hold just... on. I got to get the buzzer out. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Give me 60 seconds. Absolutely. All right. So here's the deal. There's a lot of 
just amazingly funny moments in this episode. Like he invents the quadricycle and doesn't know it. That's hilarious. That made me um, laugh. Like out yeah, loud laugh. absolutely. Like I, I, I found a disassembled quadricycle in the garage. What quadricycle? I, I invented the quadricycle. It was brilliant. He's so quirky and so sweet. The doctor is just so great. And for me though, this series is going to be all about Clara. We know that we don't know who she is. She's died twice already and somehow keeps showing up into the doctor's um, timeline and what he's doing. And so it's just very, it's going to be fun to find out who Clara is. And for those of you who are Whovians and fans, the book that the boy is reading was actually written by Amelia Williams. That's awesome. Uh, if you know anything about it, that's amazing. I totally geeked out when I realized that. So there's nothing like this show. It's fun. It's scary. It's wrapped in sweetness and has this awesome just time and space travel. It's just, it's great. It's, it's one of the greatest fun shows that I can, that I can recommend. So please watch it, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And that concludes episode number five as we are at the six-hour mark. <laughs> the love of Part two <laughs> will be next week. Tune in if you haven't already committed Holy suicide. Crap. <laughs> How could a god who made all this beautiful stuff in the world also make things that are scary and evil? This is our chance to start over. It's all gonna be good, Norman. Bates Motel, obviously a prequel to the Hitchcock uh, film Psycho with Norman Bates as a young boy and his formative years. So let's talk about this melody. I know you're a big fan of horror, right? Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I thought I would give this show a chance. I, I guess it, I thought it was pretty decent. The production value was fine. The acting was, you know, whatever. I don't have like a huge complaint about it. But we were supposed to watch the first two episodes for the podcast. And after the first one, I was kind of just disappointed that I had to watch the second episode. So if that tells you anything, I can't say that I would really recommend it or do I plan to watch any more of it? I don't think I'm just I don't think I'm in love with the idea of watching like a nice kid turn into a serial killer. It just doesn't interest me. So then don't wa- don't ever watch uh, we need to talk about Kevin because that will put you into a <laughs> state of depression. Chris, what do you think? You know, I have a similar reaction, actually. Um, I was really hoping this was going to be good. Carlton Cuse, one of the showrunners on Lost, uh, is an executive producer on this. And, I, you know, I just wanted to give it a chance. I thought it might be, you know, fun and, and an interesting kind of look at a, a classic that we're all familiar with. But to be honest with you, it's, it's the similar problem with, like, you know, watching Darth Vader become Darth Vader. We know what the end is going to be. We know kind of what's happening. And there's not really anything interesting happening here. They've brought in this book or whatever that he finds – for me, there's nothing that really hooked me. And so I'm just going to sit this one out, I think. And if I hear good things about it, maybe I'll catch it on Netflix. That's pretty much all I'm, you know, that's all I can say about it, I guess. Right, right, right. Dare I ask, Josh, did well, you see Bates Motel? I saw, I watched the first episode, not the second one. Yay! Victory! Far be it, yes, victory. Victory for what? For <laughs> terrible television everywhere. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to question the network that brought us Storage Wars and Duck Dynasty. Hey, watch (laughs) yourself. Watch yourself. No, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, I love Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty is a wonderful show. Bates Motel, I I had trouble separating the bad acting from the unlikable characters. I don't know which was the bigger problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, the mother's not authentic at all. I, I guess she's supposed to be creepy 
in a different way from the way Norman is creepy, but everyone who's supposed to be creepy in the show, they fall short of it and land right on petulant and annoying. And <laughs> it was just... I agree with you. Like, hard to watch in the wrong way that yeah. something is hard to watch. Yeah. 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 Yep. Let me just say, I hated it. I abs- yeah. I hated it. I didn't just not like it. I hated it. And I, I do appreciate the craftsmanship that was involved with the look of the show. I mean, it's definitely a, a well-shot show. It, it's fine. But the problem with shows like this is if it's if you're going to do horror, if you you have to cross a certain line that this show doesn't quite cross. It's not scary enough. It's not weird enough. Like you take a show like American Horror Story, for example. Have you guys yeah. seen American Horror Story? Yes, yes. See, yes. now that's a that's a deal that's creepy, it right? Is. That's good. Yeah. That's effective. It makes you want to watch. This is just a series full of unlikable people that you know are going to turn bad at some point. You're just waiting for the cards to fall. But it's just not an enjoyable experience, and and I don't. When I say enjoyable, it doesn't have to be happy to be enjoyable because I really enjoy American Horror Story and and shows like that that are that go for the scare. But this is just not good. I I, I will not watch any more of this at all. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. So now let's move on into something in the same vein, uh, or at least close to the same genre, that being horror, although this is more action-y kind of zombie. But we had the conclusion of Season 3 of The Walking Dead. Mayday! 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 Hold on! Of all the money the air I had, I spent it in good company. This prison is ours. Welcome to Woodbury. If we see you out anywhere near our people, I'll kill you. Now, this is an unmitigated success. Huge numbers. It's definitely a part of the cultural conversation. Uh, they're not afraid to kill off main characters. Mm. Let's start. I guess I, I'll start here with with season finale. I no, uh, wait, hang on a second. Are we going into full on spoilers here? Or have uh, we let's, I tell you what. Let's do this. Let's just do like a very like literally thirty seconds a piece of our okay. general impressions, and then we'll go into spoilers. So my thirty seconds on this is: I love season one. Uh, season two was a little step down, but I think this one, for the most part. Uh, was a return to form and the finale delivered I think almost everything that I expected it to and it certainly set up season four so uh, a thumbs up for me I liked it uh, wow. Chris Chris what about you I guess I'm gonna completely disagree with you um, I uh, and we got to talk about this I felt like they were building up to something that just didn't happen and I felt completely disappointed uh, by the season finale at least this the series the season as a whole, I thought was good and I, I enjoyed up until the last couple of episodes and I felt like it just, it just fell flat. Melody, what yep. do you think? I really hate to say it, but I have not seen any of The Walking Dead. Oh, that's so right. That's I right. cannot comment. That's right. And Josh, you haven't either. That is my 30 seconds, yes. <laughs> I have not seen it. <laughs> nice. Thus, I must recuse myself. So let's move in. Let's move into two spoilers. Okay. Okay, Chris. So I... Uh, I know where you're going to go with this. You yeah. feel like you feel like the they set up the war, they set up the battle, and then yes. it didn't didn't happen. I mean, that was the worst possible note they could have possibly hit. It I mean, wasn't just, the worst possible note they could have possibly hit. But it, they they. I'm sorry, dude, but they were building this thing up the entire season long, and it was happening. It was it was happening, and then he just 
literally ends it for everybody. They still the fought. The, the guys, they, they still came. They fell into the trap. Mm-hmm. They still shot at people. They still it killed 30, a lot of people. It was 30 seconds. Right. It was 30 seconds. So would you agree that the governor is an effective villain? The, the governor was fantastic. Right. So you hate the governor, right? Of course. Of course. Everybody does. So I think it's smart of them to to not give you what you want yet because now you're going to want to see it in season four. But they could have at least given us something, uh, some sort of a resolution. Uh, you needed to have, I know we got it earlier in the season, but you needed to have a Rick governor stare down, a moment where they realize the tables have turned and something shifted, and instead we just get a, a group of new people. It, it was really just... you got to have new people it, to kill. Characters do things in this show that make no sense. One week they are one direction to the left, and the next week they're all the way back to the I, right, and they... This, it's it's in it's lunacy, but not in a good way. But it is still. I'm so invested in the characters at this point that I just yeah. I can't help but enjoy it. I was, admittedly, a little bit disappointed that there wasn't the big epic showdown, but it's still fine. I, I didn't, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't have to be big disappointment. And, it didn't have to be big and epic. I just felt like we were building up to at least something. And what happened? And I guess I can spoil it all the way. Yeah. You know, him. Him. The governor just killing all of his militia. And then the other two people continuing to follow him, like that to me, that just breaks everything. Because those two guys obviously knew he was crazy. They obviously knew that everything had now changed. Are you familiar with the graphic novels at all? Uh, no, not at all. Okay, well, this, this was a departure because the governor dies in this, in, in this thing in the graphic novels. So just like with Game of Thrones, you know, the source material, the writers are now saying, we're going to do something a little bit differently because we like this actor. Um, well, and yeah, and that's smart because everybody, he's, I, I, he's a I lightning agree. rod. The thing is, though, is, is that it, it just, for me, it, it felt like this was a cop-out. Like, literally, they were in the writer's room. They were finishing everything up, and they like, okay, this is where we're going. And somebody said, you know, what if we yeah. did this? Well, they've got a new showrunner after this year. They've already, they're replacing yeah. him as well, so who knows what's going to happen, but we've yeah, talked about right. it too long. Yeah. I think it's okay. I still love the show. I'm still in. Oh, I do too. I'm still in. No no doubt I am. I just was a little, I was just disappointed by the finale. The Cutting Room Floor. You know, George Lucas is famous for saying that 50% of the movie-going experience is about the music, the score underneath. And so we wanted to take a few minutes and chat a little bit about some of our favorite scores and just chat a little bit about what we really like about these tracks. So I think, Josh, you've got our first track. Uh, What do you got for us? I am a fan of classical music uh, from time to time, so I I do like a lot of the the classics, Howard Shore and John Williams always do great scores, Lord of the Rings and things like that. One of the scores that stood out to me in pretty recent memory is the score actually for The Social Network done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And they do a great job of creating this ambient kind of background throughout the whole movie. And my absolute favorite song or piece in the movie is their adaptation of In the Hall of the Mountain King during the boat race. Mm-hmm. And it, it just swells to this fantastic classical slash industrial crescendo at the end. And I really love that. And so that's one of the soundtracks that I actually went out and bought. Yeah, I think they won an Oscar that year for um, for their work on I think Social I think Network. they did. Yeah. yeah, that's a great score. Yeah. That's a great score.
Chad, why don't you give us the next one? What, what do we got? Okay, in my pantheon, and shut up, get over it, get used to it, is Superman, <laughs> John wow. Williams. Talk about okay. all the nose. But I can't help it. I can't help it. But one score that I like that is a little bit more recent, not a good film, but also by the same composer. And it was one of those where when I saw the trailer and heard the score, for me it was a return to form for John Williams. Okay, there's a spoiler. It's John Williams. And that is the score for War Horse. I loved this score. And hmm. just the main theme of War Horse, if you go back and watch the first extended trailer, uh, it, it just it makes you feel like E.T. It makes you feel like, you know, all of the classic film work that he did that was like Jurassic Park. You know, those those wonderful orchestral lush kind of strings that uh, even though you don't know what, anything about the story, it makes you feel emotional. So for me, War Horse, just an absolute great score. So when I started thinking about scores, I thought of several several films um, that I like the scores from. But I had to be honest and say that my top favorite score of all time actually comes from the TV show Lost, the mm. life and death theme that plays in the first episode, yeah. uh, or not the first episode, but the first season, and it plays throughout. But it 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 plays basically when a main character dies. And then there are variations of it throughout the show. But the first time it's played, it's played. Claire's just given birth to baby Aaron. And at the same time, Boone is dying, which he's like the first of the main characters to go. You're no, sad, you're just bringing you? back, you're just bringing I know, back so many sad, memories right? right now. But yeah. like, and the, the song is so beautiful and it's somehow like so sad, but also so hopeful. It was almost like whenever it played in the show, the death of that character was like made somehow okay because... You could hear this music. It was just like, I don't know, like the music was very powerful. And I was actually it was playing in my head when we were talking about Roger Ebert back at the beginning of the show, because it's just like it's sad and mournful. But it's also like hopeful because you're celebrating the life, even though you're mourning the death. And um, that was Michael Giacchino, who has done a lot of other great stuff, too. Uh, a lot of stuff with J.J. Abrams, actually. He did Alias. He did Fringe. He did Star Trek. He did Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, so I think Michael Giacchino is definitely an up-and-coming composer. I mean, obviously, he's already done a lot of stuff. Um, so I look forward to what else what else he's going to do. But this song is definitely top of the top of the list for me. 
Good stuff. I've, I listen to soundtracks almost exclusively. I mean, I listen to a lot of the music too, but I love soundtracks. And so I was looking through my library of stuff that I listen to, trying to find some things that I really enjoy. Because I like the John Williams thematic type music. But I wanted to go with something maybe a little bit less known, I guess. Not necessarily the, the composer less known, but uh, a track that uh, not maybe many people have listened to, at least again. And Hans Zimmer, who of course is very well known uh but the soundtrack very well known as hans hans Hans, sorry (laughs) i'm sorry hans zimmer i apologize one of the um on the sherlock holmes soundtrack the discombobulate track it it's just it's unlike anything he has done uh it's very different and fun and just uh really sets the pace for that character so i love discombobulate that was a a very good track off of the the original uh sherlock holmes uh score as a kid I think it might have been the first score that I ever bought and that was actually Back to the Future nice. uh, Alan Silvestri you know the, the da, 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 you know that whole deal and um, every time I hear it now it's I don't think it gets necessarily recognized a lot, but I think it's just, I think it's fantastic. It's, you can't help but smile, and I can see the movie in my head. And uh, the main thing from Back to the Future for me was another one that I just, I love. Yeah, I, I was going to give a bit of a shout out to another semi-recent movie, but one that was kind of polarizing, but I think the score played very well into it because it was a really visual movie and the music really added to the experience of it. And that was the score to Tree of Life by Alexandre Desplat. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's a very kind of ethereal score and late at night if you listen to it it might put you to sleep and that might be a good thing yeah i don't get people that don't get that movie it to me it is it's in my top like two of all time it's such a wonderful film 
Yeah, I went old school with my second one just because I have a special place in my heart for this music, and that is uh, Star Trek First Contact, Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Jerry Goldsmith stuff. He did a lot of a lot of good work. I, I love his work on Air Force One and uh, some other films, but Star Trek First Contact, it's, it's beautiful music. I know it's Star Trek, but it's also beautiful music. <laughs> Another strong theme that is, I mean, I feel like I could put underneath anything and everything would seem more epic and maybe not a whole lot of people have heard it, but it is definitely catchy. And that is from uh, How to Train Your Dragon by John Powell. It Great is a track choice. Test Drive. And it it is so... Oh, it's so great. Uh, It gives you the feeling like you are literally flying and it's just a beautiful, beautiful orchestral track. If you want to download something that you can play in the background and anything, like I said, feel more epic, this would definitely be it. Download it and listen to it. You will not be disappointed by Test Drive. it's, It's fantastic. Thanks for tuning into the Screeners Podcast. We love to hear from you guys. So if you'd like to talk about something you heard on the show or if there's something you didn't hear on the show but you wish you had, just drop us a line. No matter how you're used to talking to people online, there's a good chance that you can talk with us that way too. You'll find us on Facebook. Search for Screeners Podcast. Tweet us at ScreenersCast. Send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com or simply leave a comment at ScreenersPodcast.com. That's where you can read up on all the things that we've mentioned in the episode, as well as send us ideas for future topics. Thanks so much, guys. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time. <laughs>